Causing the Effect, a podcast focused on the exploration of your mind, body, and spirit. Causing the Effect community, I am welcoming Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick to the podcast. Dr. Elizabeth, how are you? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I am doing well. It is a little nippy. It's a little nippy everywhere. She was just telling me, uh, Dr. Elizabeth's in uh, Gilbert, Arizona. It's 60. I'm in New York and it's freezing. I'm double bundled up here. Um, Dr. Elizabeth is uh, a therapist really focusing on relationships, attachment, trauma, um, and her belief is really healing is how to to break the cycle. And I'm sure there's more behind that what got you uh, really invested in this kind of space. Uh, why don't you start with your journey and how, what made you focus particularly on this? Like when you were starting off as a 16, 17 year old uh, woman, was did you kind of know this was the path or did it kind of fall in your lap? No, so actually I went into cosmetology at that age. And so I, um, I'm a licensed, licensed cosmetologist as well. So that's what I did the last couple of years of high school. I did that dual enrollment with high school. And so I was doing cosmetology for a few years and then uh, retail management is actually my background of, the, of my early 20s. And so as I was doing retail management, I was had a lot of young girls who worked for me, obviously, in, in clothing retail. And I started getting just more and more engaged in their life stories and their situations and started to realize, like, these girls need help. And so that is actually when I started to get interested in the therapy side and the psychology side of, like, how can I... And when I talk about breaking the cycle, that's always been my passion, but it's kind of evolved from the demographic I started with. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And, and I know um, uh, some, some women like focus per, primarily with women, but I really get a kick out of it because I like, I'm a, I'm like a typical guy, like I'm a thinker and I'm really learning this year that feminine energy, how to really just be connect with women, be more passionate, all that stuff. I'm saying it the right way, but I really don't know what I'm talking about. Um, where do you think the, where, where's the key to healing lie? Um, with women, we'll, we'll, we'll do what, what, what you know, and then we can kind of broaden it out a little bit. Sure. And well, so that's, I started with the adolescent females, but now I actually, I work with men and women. And so I work okay. relationships, um, trauma relationships, but not just in a couple's therapy environment, but I work with a lot of individuals on relationships. And so helping them start to break the cycle. And so originally I started working with children and teens and that was, I was thinking, okay, I get in with them. I start to break the cycle there. And I realized through my work that it's actually, if I can get with the parents, if I can get with that, the um, individuals who are raising and who are setting these examples and help them start to break the cycle, they can set that example and, and do the same. And so that is what I talk about. Healing is where we break the cycle. It's really about digging into what I call our relational programming and that is the influence of our upbringing. Ooh, this is this is going to get fun. Okay. Um, <laughs> so now with the, with the parents side of things, because I like that. I've never uh, I've spoke to a couple of therapists in your, your space and nobody takes that approach. That's very unique. Now, how does that process work? Is it more 
you have to get the parent. Is, is it the parents idea? Are the parents coming to or the kids coming? How, how does that look? Well, and so, I mean, that's a great question. So I was working with the children and then I'm trained in a parent child relationship modality of the really the concept being that if we can get the parents to be able to be safe and aware of the child's needs, the child is then that much more prepared to go out into the world. And, and it reduces by meeting those emotional needs. Um, they are then able to meet the emotional needs of others. They're healthier from that way. And so the work I was doing was with children and adolescents started to pull parents in, but now I've actually completely transitioned and I'm just not necessarily working with parents per se of clients, but now I'm working with adult clients um, and we're working on their relational programming so that they can then help their kids. Um, but that's not solely what I, you know, my purpose. It's also so they can be healthier in their relationships, um, romantic and otherwise. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I was telling Dr. Liz, everybody knows on this podcast that Scott has some issues with women by now. So um, I'm, I'm well, going to be a, dig into your relationship. It's, it's going to happen. I've, I've accepted it. I used to get so nervous when you guys would come on because I'm like, oh, my God, this is my weak point. OK, Dr. Liz, I'll <laughs> lay, lay it out for you. Here's the situation. It's a doozy. You would be you would love me as your client. All right, let's hear it. My father disappeared when I was six years old. He went to the witness protection program, Italian mafia, all that stuff. I did not find this out. Here we go. Here, here's where it gets interesting. I did not find this out until three years ago when my grandfather told me the whole story because he was just got out of jail. It gets worse. My father is the one who bratted on him and put him in jail. Oh, boy. Boom. Okay. You Boom. win. <laughs> start, start picking this apart. I'm going wow. to have Ryan Gosling play me in the movie. That's what I've decided. <laughs> Um, yeah. So growing up, I think I had great male figures and, you know, some not so great ones, whatever. And I sure. think you always try to like be defensive, at least as a guy like, oh, I'm good. I got these guys. But there's just something missing. There was just like I, I think that inner confidence, that inner worth, I guess, just not knowing and just, you know, and I think rationally when you're a kid, you're always going to kind of blame yourself anyway, that there's something wrong with you. And yeah. um, that's like a, a theme I've seen pop up in my head. I'm like, God damn it. Like, conditioning mother. So, um, yeah. a little bit of that and my mother being able to, to raise me as a kid and, and by herself, great job, love you, mom, but very tough, old school, Italian woman, ma, I feel this way. Oh, shut up. It's just feelings, eat pasta yeah. and, and emotionally eat yourself to death. That was the, the, the story. So that is it in a nutshell. Now, if you had me as a kid and I was even like Dr. Elizabeth, I need some help. My mother would be like, Tell this woman, go fuck herself. That's what she would say. How totally. have, have you had parents like this? How does oh that my gosh. work? Yeah, this yes. is Yes. <laughs> or for the teen. So like teen clients, parents okay. will often be like, oh, they're so dramatic or what now? You know, that's, we get that frequently. For the younger kids though, the parents are the ones who bring them in. But mm -hmm. typically the parents are bringing, I shouldn't say typically, that's not fair. Common or it happens that parents bring them in and they say pretty much like fix my kid, right? Mm -hmm. So my kid's having behavioral issues. So it's not about what am I doing as a parent often we see, but rather my kid is having behavior issues, fix them. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's more, we often see that from, from parents. But when we dig into your relational programming, now that you've opened that can of worms, um, that's what the what you just described would be the sphere of abandonment is likely going to carry with you into adulthood um, because of the situation that took place with your father. But then we call 
the way I'm sure you have a great loving mother not saying otherwise, but that authoritarian style of parenting where it's basically what I say, go suck it up, get over it. Um, that is what we call emotional neglect. And mm -hmm. so then that leads to this kind of fear of like rejection and my emotional needs aren't going to be met anyway. So I'm not going to let you get close enough um, because you're either going to abandon me or reject me. So that's, that's how we would kind of dig into what we would call your relational programming. Mm, very interesting. The sphere of abandonment. That's going to be the name of my next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So typically like I would assume that it's half nature, half nurture, it's half the parenting sure. and half the, the environment that you're in. Maybe it's, you know, whatever you're schooling, something that happened has, is that accurate? A, and then B, has your view of that changed through this process of being able to really dig in to the parenting and the kids side of things? Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. So it certainly is nature and nurture that can't be refuted. The, mm -hmm. There's too much research to support that. However, where the controversy really comes in is how much is the nature and how much is the nurture? Mm -hmm. And I would say that through my years of working in, in relationships and in, in this trauma specifically, the nurture aspect of it, I think, is a lot bigger than maybe we want to give it credit for, because then as a parent, we feel like we have to take responsibility for that. But also as the child, then you risk feeling like you're betraying your parent or you feel like you are um, calling out those negative experiences from childhood um, can feel a little yucky. And so it's much easier just to say, you know, it's biological and, and nurture like 50-50, whereas it's much more about the environment and your interactions with your caregivers that sets the stage for what happens later on. Mm. So that interaction, that when you look back at your childhood and could say this, because, you know, I've, I'm very into Carl Jung, a lot of dream work, a lot of shadow work, a lot of stuff we get deep in. And sure. I got to be honest kind of bugs me out how much I don't remember from my childhood. And it scares me a little bit. Is that part of this neglect? Sure. Because yeah. So um, repression is very common when there were, when there was a lot of stress, maybe a lot of trauma, but just a lot of stressors in general in somebody's upbringing, it's really common to push those, those memories. Um, so suppression would be where you're kind of purposely avoiding them and repression is where they, the body, your body, your brain decides this is too much and kind of pulls it away for you. And so either or is a very common thing when you grow up in a stressful environment. Yeah, I, I, I started doing this heavy, you know, I'm up 4am meditating every morning and doing all this stuff. And I kept having um, when I started it, I was like, I must be losing my mind because I'm having like this weird thing that I remember mm -hmm. being pulled from my father in the in the in the in a cop car. And I was like, that's, that's some, that's some, that's not real. That's yeah. like something crazy. My aunt told me this two years ago. She's like, that's what happened to Holy you and your father. Shit. I was like, yo, this shit's crazy. Yeah. Oh so, yeah, so the whole story was, and this is, this is why it's interesting because my family has been telling us the whole time that, um, you know, it wasn't my, it was my grandfather who kind of chose to take the fall for the son. And I'm like, okay, your dad's more like a valiant hero at this point. And then it's like, no, no, no. He's the one who not only ratted on him, he ratted on other men in the family because everybody's, everybody's involved in this whole thing. So oh, um, boy. I think that I'm sure we could talk about trust. And I was and, just you know, going to say, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. And um, I'm very like trustworthy of people, but what I've been seeing with the way I, it's like, I just expect so much because I give so much. And I think 
when you set the bar so high and then you get disappointed, like I just tend to be like, cut it, you're out. And I'm realizing like, listen, this is, it's like a defense mechanism to not handle the confrontation of like having these conversations with people. Cause like, I can't have a, I can't have like one of these serious feeling conversations about you, you hurt my feet. Like I, I just, it's very uncomfortable for me to do it. Right. Um, that's just a lot. I'm just blathering at that point. Well, but, um, no. So what you're describing though, when you, when we talk about those really heightened expectations, um, mm-hmm. that makes sense because that, as you're saying, that is a defense mechanism in the sense that if nobody can ever meet your expectations, then you don't have to get close to somebody. You can keep pushing them away because you have a built-in excuse. Nobody has ever lives up to it. Nobody ever reciprocates in the way you need. And so I'm not going to let you reject or abandon me. I'm moving on from you. And God damn it. (laughs) Fucking nailed it. That's exactly what I do. My cousin told me like, like, don't be on the Scott list because then you're going to be X'd out. Oh man. Okay. So now with, with these situations of somebody you could, you know, use that as an example or whatever. Like you, sure. we find something there, there's something there. You could identify it. You traced it back. We know why you're this way. It's really hard to change. How do you think, uh, what is the best way for people to truly, I don't like using change. Like we're freaking Tony Robinson, but like, you know, go through this process and make it be a little smoother and actually create that, you know, an everlasting change to, to look at it differently. Yes. So self-awareness is key. So when I, when someone comes in, let's say you're coming in to meet with me, we're going to first do a timeline and we're going to break down pretty much what you just shared, but you know, more in depth from birth through present day. And so what we're looking for is we're looking for themes. We're looking for patterns. Um, we've already identified some of yours. There, w- there was clear abandonment and rejection early on. And so it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're setting those situations up and then knocking them down over and over. And so we identify those themes and then self-awareness is key. Okay. So we do the timeline, we figure out what are some of the negative beliefs you're operating on. um, And then we work to increase self-awareness. So this means that next time you're in this situation, right? So you start dating, you meet somebody, she's beautiful. She's smart. She's funny. She's all these things, but she chooses funny. Okay. So you get done with this date and you're telling your friend like, oh my God, she was so hot. She was so smart, so engaging, but I'm not texting her back because let me tell you how she chewed. Okay. You're going to have the awareness that, oh shit, Scott, I'm doing it again. That's the first step. I've done this three times this week. So, you know, I've done this. (laughs) I've done this three times this week. Not with chewing, just other things. But okay, keep going. Keep going. Okay. So we established a self-awareness. So you have to start being honest with yourself. You have to start checking in on like, oh, this is my pattern. This is what I do. Okay. Let me really unpack this a little bit. Let me process through. Is this actually a deal breaker or am I just trying to protect myself? Okay. So you're, you're increasing that and then you're working to shift the patterns. Okay. So what we're looking to do is we're looking to acquire what we call evidence to the contrary. Mm-hmm. So your belief subconscious, your belief is that you will be rejected or abandoned. Okay. So you are trying your darndest to protect yourself from that. And so we have to create an evidence log. Um, all of these beliefs come from experiences that happen over time and that are reaffirmed over and over and over. And so you collect that as evidence that see, it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. So if we start collecting evidence to the contrary, okay? So if we start looking at your friends who are loyal, we look at women who haven't rejected or abandoned you. We look at how your family loves you. You know what I mean? We're collecting evidence to support that you're actually a really lovable, worthwhile, like, 
you're not going to be kicked to the curb type of guy, you can start to accept that as truth. And so we call those corrective experiences um, where maybe you start dating for a while, it's going well, and you allow it to go well instead of self-sabotaging it. I know. It's a real pain in the ass. Listen, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. Let I'm me break really, it down for you. <laughs> I'm really good on that first date. I'm really good on that second date. Then the second, the third or fourth date comes, I just start picking what these poor. Is? I just start picking these poor girls apart. Mm. It's just it's and it's so funny. I guess I didn't realize. And even like you're saying it, the, the you know, make your stuff. And my reaction to it was like, oh, I am lovable because I I think uh, on the on a level, I understand. I got a lot of people. I'm, I got this. But like maybe deep down, yeah. maybe I'm a little bit of a bullshit artist. Maybe it's a little bit not being honest if we're being in the honest. Well, game. so we we that's what we would call the adaptive child. So we develop these adaptive behaviors or defensive accommodations, we might call them. We develop these ways of survival early in childhood. So my guess is you were funny and you were you made people laugh and people really enjoyed you. And so your adaptive child, you did that for survival because you didn't want to be rejected anymore and you didn't want to be abandoned. So how can I get people to love me? I know I can be funny. They people who doesn't like a funny person, right? So you start to do that and you get you get the acceptance and you get the esteem through that. And so now in adulthood, you have all that evidence to support. Well, people like me, but deep down underneath, your subconscious is still saying, yeah, you're likable. But do you remember that one time when your dad left when you were six, even though you're likable? And that's what comes back up. There you have I'm it. sorry. Great. <laughs> no, this is this is this is perfect because this is you're nailing everything. On, on the head here. Now, when it comes to the relationship side of things, when it comes to like how much work are you doing with the men and women in the relationship side of things? And like, I want to talk to you about that because I'm just feeling back uh, more background, more freaking stories for you. Same girl was with the same girl for seven years. We got divorced after a year and a half, I turned 30, I had a new version of myself, all this, you know, the, the, the stuff. But um, just in this dating world, it's just, I don't know. It's really t- I'm, I'm 32, but I just feel like times have changed. And it's like harder to like find something genuine. And like, I'm like a person who's not going to play games. Like I'm not going to do the, the play, like text. I got to text you after you like, all oh, that's dumb shit. Like sure. what, it, as I just get nervous, like where we're going to be a hundred years from now with kids and the phone and social media, like what is your take on everything I'm saying? Yeah. So I hear that commonly. So dating has changed and with the apps. So what's going on with the apps is, that there's this decision fatigue that's taking place where when you think about going into an ice cream shop that has 50 flavors, you're overwhelmed. There's too many options and you're looking through them. Okay, but what about that? What about that? Versus if you go to an ice cream shop that has three flavors, that's easy. You walk in, you pick the one you want and you're done with it. It's the same thing with the apps. When you're provided with that many options, A, it's really overwhelming, but then B, The thought is there might be something better, which is the same thing when you go into the ice cream shop. You don't want to just pick one when you have 49 other options because Mm. there might be something better. And so on the apps, you're constantly faced with, okay, the grass being greener, which is really creating this scenario of people aren't wanting to settle down. And it really is amplifying the games that are played. Also, when you're thinking about it in terms of like that these interactions start through text or or through like that virtual interaction, 
there's not the authentic chemistry that comes along with, you know, you meet somebody out at a restaurant or something like that. And so that's also influencing it as well. Um, so I think that you're spot on. I mean, a lot of these, there's a lot of modern day barriers to the dating scene. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something, listen, all my friends were all, everybody's getting married and they all met through these app. Great. But I feel like for me, at least maybe because I met my what my ex-wife in college or the natural way, it's almost like a, I feel like there's something I'm already starting off with the deck of cards, you know, stacked against me, but I feel like it's like, Oh, okay. Well, what's, what's wrong with this girl? <laughs> I, I totally hear you. I know. And that's, I think that's the other thing that, but then like, you're a totally great guy and you're on there, same, right? Same thing. Listen, well, that's, I know. I try to normalize that for my clients because that's what I hear a lot of people say that like, well, what's wrong with them if they're on the dating app? And I'm like, okay, but bro, you're, you're also on the dating app and you're totally <laughs> fine. So that's, that's not a fair assumption. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. I think yeah, there's something with the, um, I'm, I'm like three, two weeks into these apps. You're just nailing on the head with all the apps. It's like, oh, okay. I was like, oh, this is nice. Like, you know, you can meet how many days I was like, how, I'm not a person who's good with, um, you know, doing things to moderation. I was like, how many dates could I do in a week? And now you're like, <laughs> now I'm like on a, I feel like I'm on bachelor and I'm like overwhelming myself. And I'm like, I have a priority list now for this. I'm, for, I'm forgetting which, which, which cat is this? Sorry, cat. I thought you had a brother. Now I'm all fucking, I'm in the ass. Um, it's, it's interesting to me. Cause I, I, I just feel like I, as a, as a guy, it's like, there is something with the with the women. I feel like the way I'm I'm, I'm realizing that the way I portray myself is a certain way that I may be attracting the type of woman that I don't necessarily want. If that oh, let's dig into that. If that what makes you, what, sense. What are you attracting? <sighs> oh, this is interesting. Yeah, I, the look on your face says it all. Please do share. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. Oh God! It's just, you're gonna tell my fucking nut job. See, I just want, don't want to keep telling you stuff because I'll start off being a nice guy. Okay, We're too far in. Let's go. Here's the story. I've had three girlfriends, including my ex-wife. They were all a certain look. Okay. I would say they, they looked so alike that the little cousins that they were five or six called them the other girls' names. That's how similar they looked. Oh boy. It gets gets crazier. They were all went to the same high school. They all did the same job. Speech pathology. Don't know why. It's just I, I don't know. And I'm like sitting here like this time. Like I'm not. I don't. I'm gonna try to look for. I'm trying to like to do it unconscious. The George Costanza. Like I'm just gonna look at what you know. The uh, maybe the opposite of that, and just try to be more like expansive because I feel like I like girls from Brooklyn. They're Italian. It's like a very safe thing to know. And there's something with. Yeah. They're extremely. I'm, I'm blessed to have to. I mean, they all fucking hate my guts, but all very good, good girls. So great women. Mm-hmm. And my family sat me down like, Scott, we think you're like you're subconsciously picking women that we want your approval. And they're like, you don't got to do that. You don't no. need our approval. And then the guy cousins like, Scott, yeah, any girl that, that this family likes, you're going to get bored of it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. And I'm like, everybody's, anyway. <laughs> a, everybody's a therapist th- this year. Um, go ahead. Take give me your yeah, take. So um, that's the other part of relational programming. That's that's great that you took it there. So we seek out what's comfortable and we seek out what we know. So that's exactly the way you're describing that of that's it's familiar. It's what, you know, it feels comfortable. Um, so yes, you are, our brains are designed for 
for comfort. And so that makes sense that you're doing that, but it's worth exploring. So to your cousin's point, um, that's who said that to you about, mm -hmm. yeah. So that's worth exploring is like, what is the motivation? And is this, is, is this girl fulfilling to you? Is it, do you enjoy them? Is there similarities in the personality as well? So a, what are you drawn to? Um, because you're trying to fill some other void, but then also what are you drawn to? Because you really like that. So we need to dissect that. Mm, and maybe why? Yeah. Like, why am I drawn to that? So right. okay, we've been dabbling. Okay. So now we've taken just a different approach, meeting different women, different ethnicities, whatever. And I would say that it's been, it's been refreshing finding women that are a tad bit intellectually stimulating. I would even say wilder in a sense, but at that same point, fuck, it scares the shit out of me. So, sure. but it's like, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm doing the same thing with the fucking app that we were talking about. Cause I'm like, I'll look it in the mirror. Cause I'm a little, I'm very wild to be honest. But if I, if I look at a girl and she's a little wild, I'm excited by that. I'm like, well, why are you wild? That makes you a bad person. Oh, look, that's the conditioning. See, we're doing the, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because that is, you are looking for that safety. You're looking for somebody who feels safe to you. And so if she's wild, that doesn't feel so safe. But when you allow yourself to experience those novel situations, so you explore the, these women that maybe you wouldn't typically engage with, that's where you can start creating evidence to the contrary. That's where you can start creating the corrective experiences. And so unless you allow yourself to experience that you aren't going to know any differently mm. but do you think that potentially the commonality between the relationships is that they are are these women safe who you normally pick very very like when i say safe i'm talking about 1940s italian housewives yeah. and not i i like it sounds really good even saying that, like oh that really does like kind of what i want but at the same point I guess I'm a little like I don't fit that style because that is the type of woman that wants you to come home by six o'clock and sit and watch the news or something. I did it and it just kind of bored me. Right. So I'm like, something's got to give here. I can't keep making the same mistake because it feels like psychosis. It just feels like I just keep I'm just going to keep like re reliving this and keep feeling it. But yes, that's the cycle. That's the cycle, yeah, Scott. That's what we're working to break. That's exactly it. And you're Jeez. right. It does. It's doing the same shit different day, expecting different results, that is insanity. And that is why you it's not going anywhere for you because you are in the feedback loop. It's just doing the same thing over and over. So until you're willing to, you're out of the loop, you're not going anywhere with it. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm like a half step out of this loop now. So we're, we're here. Okay. I got some second, third, and fourth dates coming up. And I'm just, if you just saw me today, Elizabeth, I'm just making shit up. I'm just ready to block bitches on Instagram. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm out of control today. What do I do to calm myself down? And because like, I don't know why I don't want to. I guess I do. I just keep seeing. Sh I don't know. I don't get it. And I don't want to find anything. And I don't want to be annoyed. But there's just something. Wait, do you even want to be in a relationship, by the way? <sighs> God. I like, why do you feel the need? Why is there this pressure to seek out a relationship? And is it so that you can tell the family, like, I'm trying, I'm trying, when in fact, you're actually sabotaging and sabotaging? So I think I went the last two years being pretty emotionally unavailable and doing the whole thing. 
And I said, this year, I, I, I do want so I'm not the guy who's going to, I don't like running around with different girls. It just doesn't feel right to me. It's not fulfilling. Um, so I do think I want one person, but at the same point, I do think I have high standards and the limit. I, I may be looking for something that doesn't exist almost in a, in a way, if that makes sense. Sure. And I do think I would agree with you that once I start this page, everything's very black and white with me. So it's either like, okay, mm. oh, we're going to just, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to grab girls and, you know, have fun. Or I'm going to be fully serious. Like there isn't a medium ground with many things in my life. Like, yeah. and that's really the way I've always been. I, I'm, I'm not a good dater. Like I've never done this intermediate dating. It's like, okay, let's find the girl. Cause I can't maybe because I, Oh, well now here's more. There's like this, this is the pressure. These three, four, fifty. Like, I don't, cause like you're vulnerable, right? You're vulnerable with these things. You don't know what they're doing. You don't know who they are. Are they texting you? Are they thinking about it's a lot. And I guess I try to speed up or not get out of this process because it's such a, um, it's such a scary thing for me. Such a mind fuck. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, finding that gray can be really hard. And that's exactly, I would like, that's, that would be a really good practice for you would be to start finding the middle ground, finding the gray area of these relationships. Like what would happen if you just hung out with somebody and lowered your expectations? Maybe that's, it's not, it's not the mother of your children. It's you're just going to dinner. I wonder how that might shift your perspective of them. Mm. like dinner consistently <laughs> like maybe a couple times like, <laughs> if you even enjoy their company if you enjoy their company maybe you could go for dessert after i don't know <laughs> i'm just so not used to it because I, I get like i'm like it's like the candy shop right it's like i'm either gonna have all these different flavors or i'm just gonna have the vanilla so D dr elizabeth is saying have your ice cream once a week and just do it like a normal human being, Scott, and just see where it goes. Don't be terrified. Yes. I'm also saying maybe seek out a therapist, um, okay. somebody who could work with you to help you break the cycle. Good. I, I feel like I'm a little bit farther ahead than some people, right? I, I'm aware. You are aware, which I greatly appreciate. I think it's becoming aware of the daily behaviors. that's so important because a lot of us get on autopilot and we're just, we're just doing shit without thinking, right? We're just, we're, we do behaviors, we say things, we, and we don't even think about it. It's just becomes um, repetitive for us. And so sometimes when you start working with a therapist, they can help, they can point out to you like, hey, did you notice this pattern in your last couple dates of this happened repeatedly? You know what I mean? So that's kind of the difference in the awareness. I, th I think you definitely do have a big picture awareness. Um, but it would be beneficial to start getting an awareness of like those daily habits that mm -hmm. may be influencing you moving to the next step. Noted. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing this work. Talk to me about um, the podcast, Calm, Cool, Connected. Yeah, sure. So I, um, we do like 10 minute segments. Um, it's all things mental health. And so we talk about all different types of topics um, from different modalities to like meditation, physical activity, um, just anything that is beneficial for mental health. And so we do them in 10 minute segments. So they're just these little bite-sized chunks that um, our audience really likes, you know, turn it on real quick in the car on the way to work or something. Um, and we're just kind of 
giving fresh insights and perspectives on mental health in general. Good. Yeah, I think that there's something that's been changed. And over the last couple of years, I'm sure you've seen it, like just mental health becoming just as important as, as physical health. Like it was up to me. I would say like once a year, get your mental health checkup and be able to, sure. to, to check on that. Just even just to understand, like talk to somebody like you about anything, like just a generalist or something. I think it'd be able to really help people just... I feel like what's going to become more important as we move through this technology phase with social media, and everything, it's like the quality of your consciousness. And that's really like what I've been working on, like very, being very still in the moment, mindfulness, all, the, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just so important for future generations to combat this kind of frenzy going on. I see that in my you know, kids' minds, not being able to sit down with the phone, you know, a little bit of, you know, social media, a little bit of fakeness, all this stuff. Um, I feel like it's something that's really going to be needed and like these kind of ancient wisdom tools are really going to be useful going forward to, to combat the kind of cyber cyber world. Yeah, for sure. Cause we, I mean, we're seeing an increase for sure in anxiety and depression with um, it's no longer just being bullied at school or just no, it's no longer just being excluded at school. Um, It's now, uh, you know, kids can't escape it. The exclusion or feeling rejected um, through social media, I mean, they constantly have their phone on them. And so uh, we definitely have seen a rise in mental health concerns when it is all encompassing. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is a way out? Because I feel like what's more social media, it's, it's becoming almost more toxic. And uh, I'm hoping that there's some type of laws or limitations. Like I, I always thought a great idea would be like, just shut down social media, like, like, like a workplace, like 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. How do you like foresee all of this particularly with being able to have relationships with people, like real relationships, be able to talk to a person one-on-one. How do you think all this kind of plays out? Yeah, I I don't foresee limitations being put around it. I see if anything worsening, um, especially due to the amount of money wrapped up in it. Um, And so that I hope that people start to put their own boundaries in place and they can start to have their own limitations and awareness around how it's impacting them. You know, you see a lot on social media about, you know, unfollow people that aren't good for your mental health or block people or um, set those boundaries that you're only consuming content that feels good to you. There's so much comparison that goes on because of social media that is really feeding into like the negative self-esteem. So the work that I do with my clients is really helping them to become aware of that. Like if you're realizing that you're following these fitness accounts or um, these billionaire accounts, you know, whatever it is that is constantly making you second guess your worth, um, that's, it's, that's not helpful. So starting to put your own boundaries in place around that. Yeah, I think bad for, for all, even, you know, the negative people That's something I started doing um, after my divorce, just really like being very careful, because I guess you don't even realize like how big of an influence these even like certain podcasts, certain things like whatever you take, even music, like if you're sitting listening to Drake, Drake, I feel like I'm the fucking man, I want to go out and like, it's like, whoa, take it easy. Like, what the hell's happened? Um, yeah. He's like, there's too many sensors going on almost. So I, I think keeping yeah. it basic, but really it comes down, it sounds like a key to a lot of the work of this mental work is really um, awareness. What, what, what kind of tools do you use and what kind of tools do you suggest people use um, for that type of work? Yeah, that's such a good point. That that would really summarize the basis of a lot of what I do is increasing self-awareness around whatever it is that we're working on. Um, meditation and mindfulness is something that I really encourage. So uh, Insight Timer is a really good meditation app. It's a free app that has multiple guided meditations. And I suggest that people just use it a couple minutes a day just to slow down, to get off the autopilot. 
Um, and that also practicing mindfulness. So being aware, look around, see what's in your environment, take a deep breath. What are the smells? Um, what do you feel on your skin? Like a lot of those things, especially in our fast paced environment. And to your point, that sensory overload environment we're living in, we don't stop to check in with our bodies. And so that's a big thing that I suggest for people to do is stop and just take a, an assessment. A body scan is what I call it. Start from your head to your toes of like, what am I feeling physically, mentally, emotionally? Um, and that creates a lot of mindfulness. Yep. No, absolutely. I, um, I've learned because my, my day job um, is working with like billionaires and very stressful stuff. So what I've learned to do is I do, I have to do my meditation in the morning. How everybody knows mindfulness. We talk about that all the time, but yeah. um, I've learned this, this year to like, keep your spiritual practice called spiritual, your mindful practice, like very close to you almost that way as a tool throughout the day, you don't need 20 minutes. You don't need 10 minutes. Like you said, a couple minutes, body yeah. scan is great. I've just been like doing like, you know, pranayama breath work in and out, simple stuff. And it really helps. I feel like you just like, you get so caught up in these like, automatic workings. It's like, you just kind of run in unconsciously. That's why I feel like I was running around like with the chicken without their head cut off lately. It's, it's, um, it's, it's very scary to me. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I encourage my clients to do something I call inner size. Um, it's setting a timer for two minutes and it's, a, it's very similar to meditation. You're focusing on the breath as your anchor. Um, and then, you know, when your thought starts to float away, you back to my breath, but just doing it for a couple minutes a day, people do not realize how difficult that is, which really, again, going back to the awareness, brings awareness to them that like, like, holy shit, like my brain is so chaotic. Um, and that's a really powerful exercise. A lot of people come back and say, well, I did it a couple of times, but I sucked. So I stopped and I'm like, yeah, that's the whole point. Like, yeah, you you're going better. to suck. That's why you're doing it. Exactly. I I've been jumping in. Uh, I jump in the, the deprivation tank once a week. Oh, uh -huh. oh my God. Have you ever done it? No, I have oh not. My God. It is. Uh, it is like amazing. It's like my favorite. I get so, I, I feel like sad how happy it makes because it's like complete stillness. Turn off everything. One hour, 2000 pounds. My knees in Epsom soul pumping through. It is. Um, it's it's did a it, beautiful, beautiful thing. Did it make you anxious at first when you started doing it? No, no. Actually, I feel like I'm just kind of built for it. Honestly, it's weird. Okay. I, I, I've done at this point. I, I used to have one in my old house. So like, I, I was um, very into it because I felt at least I, I think it changed part of how I think about life in a way, maybe kind of go a little out there with all these these thoughts. But like it, it made my mind almost more flexible in ideas oh, sure. and more open and more. Oh, I would even say, I think, um, creativity in a way like you could sit there and um, I do stand up comedy. So when I'm when I'm doing it, you sit there and you could run through your set. You could do whatever you want. I just you know, use it as a tool just to like decompress. But like, what are you doing there? I'm like, just do exactly what you're here to do. Just, just be, yeah. just, just, just yeah. Takes away all those other sensory distractions that mm -hmm. prevent you from really being able to think that clearly. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's go figure. You do stand up comedy, huh? Back to my earlier assessment. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's scary. Doctor. <laughs> That makes sense. <clears throat> Comedy is your adaptive child. So what well, happened I think that's was where we end this. <laughs> well, well, let me tell you quick. I'll tell oh, you what happened. Teasing. So I had debilitating stage fright my whole life. Scared, okay. can't. I could love talking to one-on-one -on -one people. I know everybody's gonna love me one-on-one, -on -one, but the second you put the group up, I had debilitating. So I said, when I turn thirty, I'm gonna just go after my biggest fear. Been doing it, you know, year and a half now. I love it. Um, terror, literally the hardest I've ever done in my life. But I think that's why I like it. There's something there, and then. You know, people don't realize that when you put on stage for seven minutes, like 
It's just you up there. And it's like, yeah, I, that's scary. It's, it's the, the highest of highs in my life, but also the lowest of lows. And like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting when you're up there. Cause like, if you're not in it, that's, that's the most important thing. Like if you're not working out of a place of intuition and like being present in the moment, it falls flat every time. Like when, yeah. when you kind of know it, um, before you do it. And like, ever since I kind of attacked that drag and everything after life has been so easy, it's like, okay, now it's like, let's just see what else. So I feel like, I feel like there's always lessons to be learned, um, within your fears, you know? Well, now you have dating to conquer. This is, yeah, this is going to be the emotional side of it this year. I'm but you can it. use your stand-up comedy. You can use that you overcame that. You faced your biggest fears. You succeeded. You can use all that as evidence to support that you can also do that with dating. That's it. I can go in no. front of 300 people now. I can't get to a goddamn sixth date, though. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'll cheerlead you. It's all right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Dr. Elizabeth, <laughs> thank you so, so much for all your help. Uh, everybody, check out the podcast in the notes below. Calm cool connected all uh, all her info will be below thank you so much for your time thanks scott i appreciate it of course uh, of causing the effect community thank you guys so much as always stay safe stay positive stay blessed we'll talk to you later bye-bye